So today's year is sponsored by Nishmas. Menachem Nachum ben Moshe Yitzchak. Who's your site is Chav Alaf Tamuz? I'll be the Shabbos. So may the Schus of the Torah, the Neshama have Aliyah. Amen. Amen. We're holding on page Mem, which is opposite of page seventy-eight. Two lines from the bottom. Where it says, Ve'in l'chasimcha. So last week we transitioned to true simcha. And we learned that true simcha becomes a possibility <clears throat> once we've crushed the ego, once we've crushed the nefesh Bahamas. Then we have the ability to truly experience the joy of the nefesh alikis. And what is the joy of the Nefesh Alakis? The joy of the Nefesh Alakis is learning Torah, doing a mitzvah, and davening. And when that happens, the Nefesh Alakis is like it's being released from prison. It's being released from captivity. And the Simcha that the Nefesh Alakis experiences is a tremendous Simcha. And um, That is a simcha that we can and we should tap into. To put this in somewhat uh, simpler words, or more relatable words, most of us, by default, I mean all of us by default, and most of us remain in that default state. We wake up in the morning and our thoughts are, what am I going to accomplish today? What am I going to do today? What am I going to achieve today? What am I going to do today to further my, uh, my career? What am I going to do today to uh, get for myself some pleasure? I don't mean pleasure in a, in a hedonistic way. Make a few more, make a few more dollars. <laughs> or even more meaningful and spiritual things, like what am I going to do today to improve myself? And all, as we know, those of you here are veterans from many Shirem and Tanya, all of these things are thoughts of, thoughts and feelings of the Nefshah Bahamas. Self-centered. Again, Nefshah Bahamas isn't bad. The core of the Nafsha Bahamas is self-centeredness. And when that is our mindset for the day, more or less, so then true simcha isn't possible. As we, as we explored this last week, true simcha is not possible with the Nafsha Bahamas because you're always left wanting, you're always left desiring for more. You always left feeling incomplete. As the Madras says, that uh, no one dies having fulfilled half of their desires. Mishi Ashley Manor, it's a Messiah, the one who has 100 wants 200. The one who has 200 wants 400. I might have mentioned this in the past. They did a study. And they took um, many people and they followed them for many years. And they, every year they would ask them a question. And the question was, how much money does a family of four need 
in order to get by comfortably. We're not talking about wealth, we're not talking about extravagance, but comfortably. And the answer that the people would give went up every single year. And we're talking about obviously on average, and it was always a little more than what they were currently making. Whatever they were making, and again, we're not we're talking about wealth. What do you need to live comfortably? A little more than what they currently had. And that really just expresses the medrash. We're never happy with what we have. We always, uh, we always want more. Where's true happiness? True happiness lies in the nefeshalikis. What does the nefeshalikis mean? Nefeshalikis means it's about a change of mindset. Change of mindset means you wake up in the morning and you say, and you say, Hashem, today I'm yours. I have no agenda. Today I would like to do what you want me to do. I'm giving myself over to you. I actually just saw last week. <clears throat> Every week there's, um, they put out a paper. There's an organization called GEM, Jewish Educational Media. And they put out uh, every week video? a paper, they put a, a video. And what they do is they video thousands upon thousands of people, their experiences and their encounters with their Rebbe firsthand. But every Motzei Shabbat, we have it in the show. The video, right, right. Mm -hmm. So then they take, took some of those stories and they put them on papers, and every, uh, in Kron Heights, probably maybe over here also, every Shabbos they put out a paper with a first-hand encounter of someone with the Rebbe. So yeah, last my week, story. Sorry, my story, right? So last week, maybe some of you read this story, this person uh, lives now in Kron Heights, I believe, and <coughs> he writes that his, his parents owned a grocery store in Kron Heights, and one of their customers was the Rebbe's mother. The Rebbe's mother passed away in 1964. And he would go, this man who was, was interviewed, he was a teenager at that time, and he would go deliver um, groceries to the Rebbe's mother. And the Rebbe's mother was a very social person, and she would engage people in conversation, and she engaged this, this Bachar in conversation also. And he said, see, he recounts over there some of the conversations he had with the Rebbe's mother. And one of the things he says is that he once asked the Rebbe's mother, he said, I don't know where the question came from, it's somewhat of a chutzpah question. And he said that, what is your son's, the Rebbe's, what is his favorite tefillah? What's his favorite prayer? That's a chutzpah. <laughs> and the Rebbe's then said, I don't know. Well, let me find out, I'll get back to you. <laughs> so next week he comes back and the Rebbe's then says, I asked my son what his favorite tefillah is. And he said that it's moida ani. <laughs> so the Rebbe said. This is not really a surprise for those who are familiar with the Rebbe's tefillah because moida ani plays a very central part Rebbe talks about it many, many times, um, <clears throat> and many different layers and many different levels. But the bottom line is, Maidani is the first moment of the day. It's when the person first wakes up, first thoughts, and what is the first thing that a person does when he wakes up in the morning? Is thanks Hashem for the neshama, and commits himself that today is going to be a day which is going to be given over, given over to Hashem. The Rebbe writes in Hayyim Yoyim, that we, we say Maida'ani, the first thing that we wake up in the morning, even before we wash Nagalvasar. And why is that? Because there's nothing in the world, even though that a person's hands are impure at that time, there's nothing in the world that can defile the Maida'ani of a Jew. Maida'ani of a Jew is the ultimate purity. Nothing can, nothing can defile it. Therefore, we can say it even before, even before we wash Nagalvasar. According to Allah, the reason why you're allowed to say it is because it doesn't have Hashem's name in it. 
But on a deeper level, the reason why is because it is so it comes it emanates from such a high level in the neshama <coughs> that we don't need to purify our hands because it can't be defiled. Like the Gemara says that the divrei Torah aren't mekabel tuma. Words of Torah can't. That's why someone is telling me a lot of study Torah. The same thing. The ma'ida ani of ayid is not mekabel tuma. So when a person wakes up in the morning and he says, "Today, what is my what is on my agenda today? Today, my agenda is." Today I am serving Hashem. That's all I want to do. What you've done is, you've kicked in motion, you set in motion a day, which is a day of the Neshama, a Neshama day. Today I'm living with a mindset of the Neshama. And obviously, at certain points during the day, you recalibrate and you refocus and you try to remember, remember what's, what, what am I doing here today? I'm going to work? Why am I going to work today? Because Hashem told me that I have to go to work. Why am I going to work? You know, the, the Gemara says that there's a Pasuk, a Pasuk in Yeshaya. I don't remember all the words of the Pasuk. It's a something, Yeshua, Chosen, whatever. It's a Pasuk with several words. Vahoya, Amunas, something. Amunas, Chosen, Yeshua. I don't remember the exact words. But the Gemara says that in, these, uh, in, in this Pasuk, is Merumas has alluded to all the six Shisha Sidre Mishnah. And it explains how every single one of them is alluded to one of the words. And the Gemara says that the, the Zroim, say the Zroim, where is that alluded to in the Pasuk? And the word Emunas. One of the words in the Pasuk is Emunas. Emunah. What's the connection between Zroim and Amuna? So the Gemara says, because Ayid is Maimin Bechai Ilamim Vizireya. Ayid, he doesn't plant because he says, uh, Oh, there's nature. Nature is that if I plant something, a tree will grow or, or, uh, or a wheat will grow. No. He believes Hashem, he trusts in Hashem, and he knows that Hashem sent me to, uh, and told me that this is what I should do, and that's why I'm doing it. Which is the difference between the way a yid goes to work and the way a mahavdil, someone who is no yid goes to work. A yid goes to work, it's all part of his avidus Hashem. It's all part of the maimin b'chayilam, even when he's in the field and when he's planting, it's all part of avidus Hashem. And why is the Yid eating? And obviously it goes without saying, the davening and the learning. And when a person is able to, um, what's the Bible? Is that the Lashon HaPasuk? Okay. Right. So, when that happens, then when you do a mitzvah, you experience profound joy. You've given away the false idol. You know, there's a pasuk, another pasuk, also in Yeshaya. That Hashem complains. That my nation did for me two evils. One of them is, Me, you abandoned the source of living waters. And what, what did you abandon me for? You went to uh, dig for yourselves wells, wells which are broken. Two evils, not one, we abandoned Hashem. And who did we abandon Hashem for? We abandoned Hashem for, uh, for the idols. That's what it starts talking about. There's actually a great muscle from the Dubna Magid uh, illustrating this point. So there's a person a wealthy person who took, a, took for himself a son-in-law. 
this wealthy person was the businessman and the son-in-law wasn't uh, so bright. So, um, <clears throat> but he needed to, you know, help his son-in-law establish himself. So he says, he told the son-in-law, here, here, take $10,000, go to the nearest city, and uh, the nearest big city, buy yourself some, some merchandise for, you know, for cheap, and come back here and, uh, to, the, to the village over here and you know, start a business. So the guy goes off to the, the big city, and a little while later, a few weeks later, he comes back and he has with him a truckload of shafras. Shafras. Gotten on the cheap. He got 500 shafras for $10,000. He was told that the retail value is much more. Fathom looks at him. He says, where in the world in this small village are you going to sell 500 shafras? There's not, I, we could sell four shafras in this village. What are we doing with these five? You're an idiot. You have no idea on how to do business. What's this? Uh, a little brains you have to have. You have to buy something which everyone needs. Which everyone needs. Here, take another $10,000. Go back. Get something which everyone needs. He goes and he comes back. Two weeks later. You know this. And he comes back with a wagon load of toothpicks. <laughs> says toothpicks. You know how long it's going to take to sell a wagon load of toothpicks? <laughs> hey, he gives up on the son-in-law. He says, listen, okay, you go, you study Torah or do some whatever. <laughs> I'll support you. I'll give you, I'll give you a stipend. <laughs> and, then the, and then the guy, the wealthy man, he calls in two business people, proven business people, and he tells them, here, but he did, without, not in front of each other. He calls in one says, here, here's a wagon load of shafers. Get rid of it. Get me back anything for it. Any, any merchandise is better than this. And then he calls on another business person and says, here's the, a wagon load of toothpicks. Get rid of it. I'm willing to take a loss. Just get me anything instead of toothpicks. They go off, and a day later they come back, and the one who gave the shafers comes with the wagon load of toothpicks, and the one to whom he gave the toothpicks comes back with the wagon load of shafers. They made a trade. <clears throat> and the son-in-law who saw this whole thing he turns to the father the father-in-law and says you see I'm not so stupid after all take a look these are two veteran businessmen and this one you know traded for the shafers this one traded for the toothpicks so the father-in-law screams at him you idiot he says, they traded one valueless thing for another valueless thing. You traded good money, $10,000 for this valueless thing. You can't compare one to another. So that's what also the, the Dubna Magid says, that Hashem says, The first thing is that, the first uh, evil that you did is that you abandoned me. The second evil is, who did you abandon me for? For broken, worthless wells, worthless idols. And that's, uh, you want to trade value for value is one thing. But to trade value for nothing is, is, um, is a much worse crime. And that's what we do. Because when we make that our pursuit of happiness is contingent upon our nefesh Bahamas and achieving our own desires and achieving our own uh, <coughs> you know, pleasure and gratification and, 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 and completion, even spiritual completion, and we're abandoning. What we're doing is we're abandoning the real source of happiness. And the real source of happiness is Hashem, is the Nefesh Kiss. And we put the Nefesh Kiss in the closet, 
And we say, a couple, you know, well, I'll meet you one day, maybe Yom Kippur by Ne'ilah, I'll, I'll, I'll tap into you. And we live with an Afshab Hamas mindset, and thereby we doom ourselves to a life of anxiety and frustration and not happiness. And what we have to do is we have to smash our ego a little, as we did in the last two chapters, and realize the ultimate joy is in doing a mitzvah. But the only way we can experience that joy is if we have that mindset, which is that we wake up in the morning and we say, and we say, Hashem, today my agenda is yours. And when we have that mindset, when our goal in life, when our mission in life is to serve Hashem, then every single time we do a mitzvah, we study Torah that gives us incredible joy, the joy of the nefesh alikis. We are identifying with the nefesh alikis, the joy that the nefesh alikis experiences. The nefesh alikis comes from the highest of the high, and it comes down into this low, miserable, despicable body filled with... Uh, you know, with flaws and with temptations, and when it gets to do a mitzvah, it's it's like it's it's surfacing and getting some fresh air, the tremendous joy it feels, and we can tap into that joy if we take on a nefesh kiss mentality, which means a bittel mentality as opposed to a self-centered mentality. And this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate uh, secret of joy, tapping into the joy of the nefesh kiss and the joy in Torah and in mitzvahs. And with that, we'll continue. Two lines from the, from the bottom of page mem. There is no joy as great. Like going out of captivity, which is what the Nefesh Elakis experiences every single time it does a mitzvah. And this is like the muscle of a prince. Who was in captivity. And in captivity, it's not enough that he's in jail, but he's made to grind, to, make, to, to turn the millstone, like it says by, uh, right, what does it say by, by, by Tzitz Mitzrayim? Ad b'choyer, right, hatoichen, right, what does it say with it? The one who's grinding, based on Surah. And not only is he in prison, away from his father, not only is he forced to do harsh labor, but in ba'ashpa, he is uh, he's absolutely he's dirty and and, 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 and and lying in filth. The Hamalach, and he goes free to follow the king. Imagine the joy that he feels. That is the joy the Neshama feels every single time that we do a mitzvah, that we study Torah, that we daven. The joy of a prince that is in captivity, making uh, made, being made to do. Harsh manual labor, which you know, harsh manual labor is difficult for everyone, and how much more so a prince, and this, you know, lying in tremendous filth, and finally goes out and is he goes out and is united with his father, the king. That is the joy of the neshama. And think about this for a moment. This is a very key part to this parak. Think about the joy of the reunion of the prince and his father, the king. Now, the prin the prince has been together with his father, the king, many times. But the joy is much greater today than it was five years ago before he was taken to captivity when he saw his father the king every single day. What makes the joy greater? The captivity, the harshness of the captivity, the filth, all the negative things now contribute to make the joy even greater. So what is that in the nimshal? What is that in the analog? And this is tremendous. 
The captivity we're talking about is the body. The soul is a captive in the body. The filth are all the desires, the temptations, the character flaws that we have. The greater the captivity, the greater the filth, the more repulsive the body, the greater the joy in doing a mitzvah and learning Torah. Which this is very counterintuitive. You could, you could appreciate it because you could contrast it. Exactly. You can't contrast it. have no reference. The joy, exactly. The joy the neshama feels in doing a mitzvah. So when you think to yourself, how can I enjoy doing a mitzvah when I am such a lowly individual with all my character flaws and all my uh, temptations and all my um, you know, predilections and all, everything that's wrong with me, the more there is wrong with you, the greater the joy there is in doing a, a mitzvah and knowing that with this the neshama is being released from the captivity which it's in and is able now to reunite with its father, with Hashem. So, some usually we tend to think, how do I become happier? The more refined the individual I become, and the more holy I become, and the more spiritual I become. That's the secret to greater happiness. And now we're finding the exact opposite is true. Because the lighter the captivity, the less the joy when he reunites with the king. Now, I'm not suggesting that we become that we work, we work on becoming, uh, you know, more coarse and more uh, megushim, as they would say. But if that happens to be your situation, that does not stop you from experiencing simcha. To the contrary, it contributes to the simcha. And this is a new, a new depth to the passage that we learned, that there's advantage to be gained by every sadness. The more you're sad about your state, your spiritual state, the greater the happiness that you can experience when you learn Torah and when you do a mitzvah, when you daven. And this, the happiness is not, despite the, the, is not despite the sadness. It's not despite the fact that you're a lowly person, but it's because of it. Which means that this joy that we're talking about, the joy of experiencing the joy of the neshama when it, when it learns Torah, does a mitzvah and serves Hashem. So some of us might be thinking, well, that's for great tzaddikim. No, it's not for great tzaddikim. That's for, that's for us. It's for every single one of us. That if I could wake up in the morning and say, yes, I know who I am. And I know I'm not a tzaddik. I know I'm very far from a tzaddik. But that's irrelevant. I have a job today. What's my job? My job is, to get, is, to, is today is pidgin shvoyim. That's my job for today. And halacha talks about pidyon shvuim is a mitzvah rabba, is a great mitzvah. Think about the pidyon shvuim of your own neshama. That's my job today. I'm devoted to Hashem and to releasing my neshama and allowing it to reunite. And the incredible, and thinking about the incredible joy that my neshama is going to experience. Well, me. Ramola, tzaddik does a mitzvah. Big tzaddik does a big rabbi in the shul does a mitzvah. Okay, the neshama is like, oh, okay. You know, okay, that's nice. But when I'm going to do a mitzvah, my neshama is going to be absolutely ecstatic and giddy because it's used to being in such refuse and such stink that when I do a mitzvah, that's the, most, the greatest joy that there is. So this is a case where of, you can't say, this is a simcha which is beyond my level. To the contrary. <laughs> to the contrary. Whatever your level is, you can have simcha and the lower you are, the more simcha you can have. Forget about yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. It's about the neshama. Two lines from the top of page 80. 
even though that the body, we say the body, we don't just mean the physical flesh, but the body and the bodily drives remain disgusting and repulsive. As the Zayhar says, that the body is called the skin of the snake. The human body is like the skin of the, of the snake from Eitz of the Chetet Sadas. Because the essence of the animal soul does not become transformed to good. We still retain all you know, our selfish uh, qualities. Our Nefsha Bahamas does not become subsumed in holiness. Let your soul be more precious in your eyes. To rejoice in its joy. More so than your focus on the despicable body. Don't mix up and don't confuse the incredible joy that you take with the nefesh, with the nefesh, nefesh alikis, with the depression that comes as a result of the body. So you have a choice in life. You can focus on your body and on your deficiencies. I say again, body is a code word for you know your body and all your selfish bodily desires, and you can be depressed because of it. And if you think about yourself honestly, you will be depressed. Or you can take a different tactic altogether. And you can focus on your neshama. And the words of the Alter Rebbe, Tikar Let your neshama be more precious in your eyes. And if you take a tremendous joy in your neshama, the body won't make a difference anymore. Imagine you're marrying off your, uh, you know, you're marrying off your son or your daughter. And at the wedding, someone comes to and tells you, by the way, uh, coming from your house, your computer just, uh, what's called the blue screen of death, your computer just uh, zapped. So how upset are you going to be? Yeah, yeah it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. What? Who cares? Who cares? When, you, when you're engrossed in the joy of doing a mitzvah, then the itzavi and haguf, all the, you know, all the your bodily deficiencies, they don't matter. You're, you're, on a different, you're in a different place right now. You're on a different level. You're identifying with the neshama. And that is the key to happiness. Ultimately, the key to happiness is, is identifying with the neshama and the joy of the neshama. And the joy of the neshama, the beauty of it is, is that it's there for the taking every single moment. Every single moment. It's always possible to be serving Hashem. Yes? <clears throat> but, like, <clears throat> I guess the point over here is more than just, like, not seeing the body, but that contrast, that, that seeing how the how gross the body really is, and that actually, like you were saying, that it heightens. heightens the contrast, because you're not going to really ever escape the body. So it's kind of like Sumer Rabbi Sato, the, the contrast, the light and dark. And use the focus on how how gross the body is comparatively. But but and that can be right. That, like you said, it can add to the simcha. Then, so the body is the body. I, I'm right now consumed with the neshama. That's my goal: is the neshama and the joy. I'm pretty sure I told, I, I've said the story before. I'll say it again. It's an amazing story. A chassid whose name was Remendel Futterfas. So. Somewhat of a legendary Lubavitch Chassid, renowned for his mysterious nefesh in Russia and his Avis Yisrael, and he spent many years in the Russian gulags 
for um, for spreading Torah and Yiddishkeit, and also for helping many Chassidim um, leave Russia. And over there, in the in the gulags, in the in the labor camps, right. So there were a lot of highly intelligent people over there, and highly accomplished people, because the Russian government, that was one of their things, was anyone who had too much brains, was too accomplished, was a threat to their, uh, to their system. And, and anyone who was suspected, even somewhat the slightest, of saying something or thinking something, or wanting to see, to think something which was against the Russian government was right away sent away. And if the per- the more influential the person is, the more likely he was to be sent away because the Russian government was so scared of uh, any. Um... So Mendel became friends with many of these people. Many of them again from the upper echelons of uh, the upper crust of Russian society. And one night they're all sitting together, uh, and one of them turns to Mendel and says, "Mendel, I don't get this. Why are you always so happy?" <laughs> and he was. Remendel was always a very happy person. I, I remember him still as uh, what? You mentioned this. Uh, thing. I've, I've met, I think I've said this story before. What? He's an older man in Heights. He he lived in Israel. He lived in Kfar Chabad, but he would come to the Rebbe often in Kfar Heights. But he lived in Israel. Yeah, he's a mashpia in Kfar Chabad. And but that was one thing that always characterized him. Two things you'd say was Avas Yisrael and Simcha, which by the way they go hand in hand. As we'll see in Perik Lamed Beis, obviously Israel and Simcha really are both symptoms of the same cause. I believe Rav's grandfather, right? I believe yes, right? yes, his grandfather, correct. Mm-hmm. So Rabbi Lieberov's mother was killed in a car accident shortly after Mendel left okay. Russia. Two, right. three, two, three years ago. In Pennsylvania. What? No, his mother. His mother, oh. We're talking about in like 1967 or something, we're talking about. Oh, I see. Shortly, Remendel was, uh, was separated from his family for 20 years. His family was in England. They got out. And when he got out, he had one son and one daughter. The daughter was killed in a car accident. She had 11 kids. So just, uh, his ability to, to endure everything and still be uh, such a simcha dika person was... Um, anyway, but the bottom line is, so one of them says, why are you so happy? So in true Jewish fashion, he turns back to them and says, well, why aren't you happy? They look at him, why aren't we happy? <laughs> you have to explain that. He says, yeah, why aren't you happy? So they go around and each one describes why they were in the middle of, whatever they were in the middle of doing in life was interrupted. Their life's mission, one was writing a book and one was in the middle of an invention and one was in the middle of uh, a, you know, uh, building up an orchestra, whatever it may be. It was everyone... So when they went, after they finished, he, turned, he says, okay, now I get it. He says, the reason why you're all not happy is because being here prevents you from uh, pursuing your life's dreams. My life's dream is to serve Hashem and that I could do wherever I am. <laughs> That's why I'm happy. Because, uh, and by the way, if you're pursuing it, if you, if you are an author, you are a musician, you are a doctor, you're never ever anyways going to get to the ultimate where you want to. But if, you're, if, if your simcha is the simcha of the neshama, the simcha of serving Hashem, that simcha is available Whenever and wherever, also as illustrated with the story last week with uh, Rabbi Malach and Rabbi Zushan. Watch the video, you'll find out the story. Um, and that's the secret, the secret to Simcha. Secret to Simcha is uh, the, the less me, the more I can be happy.
And that's why sometimes when the me is too strong, I can't be happy. I have to, you know, embark on the the journey of Mivachanli, of crushing the Nefshah Bahamas, which was what we've been we learned in chapters 29 and 30. But the purpose of 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 of, of crushing the Nefshah Bahamas is not to crush yourself, but it's to reach happiness. That's the, the irony of it. Those two chapters which are, you know, what they say in Yiddish, Ashen Parach, fire and brimstone, right? So if you go to other you, you go to other quarters or other streams such as Musr, what is the purpose of the fire or brimstone of all the Musr? Is to bring you to a place of hachna, to a place where you feel lowly. In Chsidis, the fire and brimstone is to bring you to a place of Simcha. Of Simcha. It's all it's all about Simcha. It's not about the you know having you it's not about uh, you know wallowing and self-loathing. It's not the point. That's only a that's only a medium. That's only a um, that's a, that's a tool to get you to a place of simcha. Because sometimes you have to break the me in order to be able to get past the me and be able to experience the true simcha, which is available only through the nafesh alikis. And you make a mitzvah every time you be simcha. Mitzvah gedol That is true. Now, based on this, Dr. Rebbe is going to explain something very interesting. It's just something that's just a, a pella, a wonder, in, in those who Pasha learned Chumash Pshudesh al Mikra on the simplest level. <coughs> we know that it says that when the Yidin went out of Mitzrayim, it says, Ki Ha'am. But you got Lamalach Mitzrayim, Ki Ha'am. What does Barach mean? No. It's not, that's not Barach. Right away is, uh, is to Larutz, to go quickly. The word Barach means to escape. I thought it was the other way. Barach, even in Hebrew, modern Hebrew, Barach means to escape. Escape means when you're leaving a place which is, you're not, allowed, you're, not, you're not supposed to leave, you're not allowed to leave, and you're leaving anyways. What does it mean that the Yidin escaped? And the fact is that the Yidin, they left under deceptive circumstances. The entire time, Moshe was telling Pare, we want to go three days into the desert. And finally, after the Makas Bechayres, Pare relented. The Yidin are going for three days into the, into the desert. And everyone is under the impression that after three days, the Yidin are, are returning, coming back to Mitzrayim. Three days go, go by. And the Yidin aren't there. You got the Melech Mitzrayim, Kibaracham. So what does he do? He goes chasing them. And all of the Mepharshal speak about this. Why would. What? Did say? What? What did Moshe say? Just three yeah, days. in other words, after Makas Bechiris, Moshe Rabbeinu, when, when Pari was desperate that the Yidin should leave Mitzrayim, as the Pasuk says, right, that, uh, that the Mitzrayim were pushing them to leave. And they even said, we want you to leave right away. And I says, no, we're not leaving in the middle of the night like, like, uh, like, like thieves. We're going to leave at midday. And Moshe held all the cards at that point. And he could have told Pari, we are leaving forever. We're not coming back. I want you to hear it. Sign the official, uh, official papers. And Pari would not. What, what, what would he have said? He said, no, you can't go. But he said, okay, now we're going for the second borns. <laughs> there, were, there, weren't, there wasn't any room for negotiation at that point. 
Remember, a few days earlier, there was a civil war already with the, you know, with the, with the the, the firstborn already. Why the deception? Why the deception? Why couldn't Moshe just say, we're leaving? We're never seeing you again. It's a Pashtun question. And the whole thing was they borrowed the, they borrowed the stuff from Israel, right? <coughs> the clothing and the utensils. Right. So various answers are given. One very just but on the side, one fascinating answer is given by the Erechaim Akadish. And he says that the Mitzrayim had to be punished, Mida Kineged Mida. Mida Kineged Mida, just like they threw the the little the children into the to the Nilos, so they had to be punished by being uh, drowning in the Yamsa. So they had to be drawn out in some way. And therefore they that, that the whole deception was to arrange that they should um, follow them and they should drown. Good answer. So the Chaim says, one second. But Hashem could have gotten them to Yamsa for some other way. Hashem has so many means at his disposal. Why why in this way of deception? So he says the deception is also Mida Kenegad Mida. Because we know that Mitzrayim, the way they got the Yidin to work was Beferach. They fooled them. They deceived them. At first they, they said, you know, we want some patriotic people to come help. And then they uh, forced the slavery upon them. So since they did it with, with the deception, so their punishment had to be that they were deceived. And that's how they met their final end, which was Midah Keneged Midah, for them drowning the Yidin. That's a Pshudish Mikra answer. But we have over here... And the question is, the, the Alter Rebbe is going to tell us a whole new idea. We know this is something which is axiomatic to Chassidus and to Kabbalah. This is something that we've discussed many times. Whatever happens here in this physical world is a reflection of the spiritual realities that exist. <laughs> Not the other way around. Whatever happens here is a manifestation of the spiritual realities. The spiritual reality at that time of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was what? That the Jewish people, we're talking about Geula, they experienced Geula. What does Geula mean on a spiritual level? They were still unrefined people at that time. They still had terrible Midas. They had to work through them in the 49 days up to the time of Matan Torah. When the Yidin went out of Mitzrayim, we know, as the Zayar tells us, that they were on the 49th level of impurity. And that took some time to reverse. They were on a very, very low spiritual level. So when they left Mitzrayim, what does that mean that they left Mitzrayim? You know, Mitzrayim represents the Gavos. It means that they escaped Mitzrayim. But the Mitzrayim still existed. Exactly what we're saying over here. Every single time when we learn Torah and we do a mitzvah, what's happening? We're essentially experiencing Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. The neshama is escaping the confines of the body 
and reuniting with Hashem through the Torah that is learned and through the mitzvah that is performed and through the davening but the neshama has not transformed the guf the pari, the mitzrayim still exists if the body if the guf and the nefshah bahamis is a metaphor for pari and mitzrayim then that still exists but every single time that I learn Torah, I do a mitzvah, I'm experiencing Yetzirah's Mitzrayim. Tricking, Sorry? Tricking the body? Yeah. Like, is it like a trick? But it, it's, it's like, it's you're getting caught, it's an escape. Escape. It's an escape. Please. Escape from Egypt. Or is it deception? The point here isn't the deception. The point is, that why is it that the Yidin have to leave in a way where Pari and Mitzrayim were still in existence, and not only were still in existence, they, to, to a certain extent, they still retained control over them. When, when, did, when were Pari and Mitzrayim destroyed? Pari and Mitzrayim were destroyed by Kriya Samsov. Right, for those of you who are uh, familiar somewhat with Chabad tradition, we know that, that Kriya Samsov, which is on Shvi Shal Pesach and Achem Shal Pesach, is a time when we celebrate the coming of Mashiach. We have Mashiach Sudak. And why is that? Because the idea of evil being eradicated, that's something which is when Mashiach comes. Mashiach comes, we eradicate the evil. And who is that in human being? That's the tzaddik. A tzaddik is someone who's rid of the pare, he's rid of the Mitzrayim, he's transformed everything. And when Mashiach comes, we'll experience, experience that collectively as a nation. We'll be rid of the pare, be rid of the Mitzrayim. And that's why when it says when Mashiach comes, it says, The exact opposite. My Mitzrayim, we were running for our lives. Why? Because we were running away from the evil which still existed and which was still very real. Not only was it real in the physical place of Mitzrayim, it was real within the reality of every single Yid. Because they were on such a low spiritual level, they had to contend with their own personal Mitzrayim. So they were escaping, they were running away. And that's fascinating. Because you think about it, why are we celebrating Pesach on the 15th day of Nisan? When did we finally leave the clutches of Pare and Mitzrayim? It was by Kriya Shamsuf, right? So why are we celebrating the 15th day of Nisan? That would seem to be that that was only like a stage in the redemption. Full redemption came by Kriya Shamsuf. celebrating stages, we could celebrate maybe where Makas Dam happened. The Gemara says in Sechlis Rosh Hashanah, right, that as soon as Makas Dam happened, on Rosh Hashanah already, the Yidin weren't anymore uh, enslaved. Six months before, uh, six or seven months before the Yidin were Why? Why are we celebrating the stage? Why don't we just wait till it's all over and Chav Beis, uh, and Chav Beis Nis and celebrate Pesach? And the same question, why are we celebrating Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Let's just celebrate Mashiach's coming. But that's the attitude that only the tzaddik can celebrate. The tzaddik represents, again, the tzaddik and Kriyas Yamsuf and Mashiach are all synonymous with each other. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and the Bainini. The Bainini, the struggler, they go together. Because we, in our lives, what do we experience? We experience Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim on a daily basis. And in fact, I know we talked about this in the past also. Why is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim so fundamental to Yiddishkeit? We've talked about how, the, how Hashem is OCD by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, right? Talks about it non-stop, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. 
We mention it non-stop, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Because Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is such a foundation in our service of Hashem. The understanding, I don't have to be rid of the evil in order to celebrate. I can celebrate and be happy and be simcha when I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm studying Torah, even though that my party still exists, my Mitzrayim still exists, and my party, my Mitzrayim still think it controls me. Just like party back then, right? It thinks that I'm taking a little vacation. It thinks it still controls me. And that's also a reason why to celebrate. We sit on Pesach, and not only that, let's be honest. Most of us, what do, what, what's the greater celebration? The first day is a Pesach, and the last is a Pesach. First day is a Pesach. Why? Because that's our reality. When Mashiach comes, that might change. Maybe then we'll celebrate more the last days of Pesach. Because that's more representative of Mashiach. Mashiach comes, we're not running anywhere. That's what it says. The Pasuk says, why, why aren't we running anywhere when Mashiach comes? Because there's nothing to run away from. There's nothing to run away from. By Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, we were running because we had what to run from. Our own evil, which was represented in a physical place by Mitzrayim. And um, it's seen in this vein. It's so understandable why Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim such, plays such an important role in Yiddishkeit. Because, let's be honest, 99.9% .9 of us are on that level. We're in the level of the Benini, we're in the level of the struggler. And we have, you know, as Dr. Rebbe says, and our body and our bodily desires are very, very far from, uh, from, from a place of holiness that doesn't, that should not interfere with our ability to have, to achieve complete simcha. Every time that we do a mitzvah, we study Torah and realize the contrary, just like there's the joy of running out of Mitzrayim, the joy of the neshama being redeemed from the Mitzrayim and reuniting with Hashem. Let's do this inside. Sorry? How many lines? Vihine. Um, seven lines from the top of page 80. Vihine. Vihine. Now this idea, this point, which we're talking about, this simcha that we experience every time that we do a mitzvah and study Torah, he begins Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. This is Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. Shnei Rabbah, regarding which it is stated, Ki Baruch Ha'am. says that we escaped. This is a wondrous thing. Why did it have to be in this way? Had they told to let them free forever. Not three days, but forever. Would he not have been compelled to send them? but... <coughs> Since the evil which was in the Neshamas, the souls of the Eden, Adayin Hoi Betakfei was still at its full strength. Because their stench did not go away until Matan Teirah. As it says, the Gemara says, that, um, that by the Chet Eitzadas, so um, humanity, was infected with a zuhama, with a spiritual stench. And when did that stench end? By Matan Teirah. And then it returned, and it's a small degree, by the Chet, uh, by the chet Ego. But the fact that by Mitzis Mitzrayim they still had that stench shows that spiritually they still were in a, in a lowly place. Rather, what was their goal? Lot says, All they wanted was that the Nefshalakish should leave 
the exile, the Galus of the Sitar Achra, he tumas mitzrayim, which is the impurity of Egypt, and to connect to Hashem. As the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Hashem Uzi, Hashem is my strength, the Mu'uzi, the one who gives me strength. Uminusi Minusi, what does Minusi mean? The one who I escaped to, right? That is the the Gomer, Miskabi, we say also Hashem Miskabi, right? Also the one who gives the, the one uh, my, my strength, Uminusi, the Gomer, the one who I escaped to, Hashem is my, the place to where I escape. All this represents the idea of when we do a mitzvah, we're starting Torah, we're escaping, we're escaping to Hashem and experiencing the joy of the Neshama at its reunion with Hashem. And therefore, in the future, when the spirit of impurity will be removed from the land, from the world, then it says, we will not be running away, we will not be escaping then, because Hashem will be going before us at that time. In order to have even deeper and stronger tshuva, here we're talking not tshuva for sins, we're talking about tshuva as in the sense of returning the neshama to Hashem. And also to increase the joy of the neshama. When a person takes the heart, the following understanding to console oneself from one's sadness and from one's grief to say to a person to say to themselves canal as i mentioned earlier all is true that my body is despicable etc however i did not create myself this is, this is incredible words. After all the bashing of ourselves that we did in the, in the past chapters, so the first thing that we did until now is we transitioned and said, okay, all that's true. I'm lowly, I'm despicable, I'm disgusting, I'm uh, materialistic, etc. But I'm going to focus on my neshama. My joy will be the joy of the neshama. Now that one is adding an additional point. Besides for the fact that your joy is the neshama, let's, let's return for a second to all that thinking about the body and how lowly it is. Whose fault is that? gave you all those desires? Who gave you those character flaws? Who gave you those temptations? Who made you a materialistic self-centered person? It's Hashem. It's not your fault. Why did Hashem do this? Why would Hashem take a piece of His light? The light of Hashem, the one who fills the worlds and surrounds the worlds, and all the worlds are absolutely nothing in comparison to Him. And what does Hashem does? He takes this neshama, this piece of Him, and puts it in the skin of the snake, and the future drop. Why would Hashem do that? The whole purpose is, the purpose of the descent is for an aliyah. What is that? To elevate Hashem, the Nefshah Bahamis, which is a Klipas Noiga, the Cholu Vushah and its garments, the Machshava, the Dibur, the Mice, the thought, speech, and action of the Nefshah Bahamis, 
the Maisa Dibura Machshava Satayra through making them part, you know, through using them in Machshava and Dibura Maisa Satayra, which is Baal as will be explained later in chapters 36, 37, 38, Inyan Halazu. The whole concept behind this elevation, Ba'arichus at length, Eichsu Taklis Elam, how it is the entire purpose of the world. So why, again, the fact that I'm, that I'm so lowly, it's not my fault. It's all by part of the plan. And what is the plan? The reason is, because Hashem wants that the lowly me and my lowly Nefshah Bahamis should become elevated to Hashem through me doing Teirah Mitzvahs. V'im and therefore, V'im Kenei and if so, Zois asked, said, this is what I shall do. This will be my entire aspiration. Every day of my life. To subsume within Hashem. My entire life. To you, Hashem, I lift my soul. To connect my thought and my speech with Machshafti Vidiburi Yisbarach and Hashem's thought and Hashem's speech, Hain Hain, Gufi Alachas Aruchis Lefanenu, that is through studying the Halachas in Torah, the Hain Maisa Bemaisa, I will connect my Maisa to Hashem's Maisa through Maisa Mitzvahs, Shalachin Nikras HaTorah Meshivas Nefesh, and that's why Torah is called Meshivas Nefesh, because Torah returns the Neshama to its source, Pirush Lemakir Vesharsha Vazen Emar. And regarding this, it says, "Pekudei Hashem Yisharim, Mesamchei Aleiv." The mitzvahs of Hashem are upright, and they make the heart joyous. The unity we have with Hashem. So this is a whole new thing that Alter introduced over here, because we had th- we had three stages. Stage number one is how despicable you are. You're you're so terrible and unholy and distant from Hashem, and your desires are so far from Hashem. That took us like two and a half chapters. Then comes along Dr. Rebbe and says, but all of this doesn't prevent you from having joy. Why? Because that's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is they have a neshama. So tikar nafshe be'enav. As Dr. Rebbe says, let your neshama be more precious in your eyes. And although your body is a re- is, is is actually a, a reason and a source for grief and, and 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 sadness and everything, but focus on the joy of the neshama. If you have a neshama dika life then it'll become somewhat irrelevant, all, these, the, the, all the deficiencies of your body, because you're focused on your neshama. Focus on doing a mitzvah, focus on Torah, you're experiencing your tzies mitzrayim. So therefore, where does, what is the source of the joy? The source of the joy is that I'm focused on the neshama, and not on the guf. Now comes along the Atar and says, hold it one second. Everything we said before about how lowly and despicable your body is, is true. But that's not your fault. Hashem did it. And why did he do that? And the reason is, as he alludes to a little in the, in the, in the parentheses over here, is because the purpose and the goal and the objective of the entire Torah is of entire, sorry, the purpose and objective of the, the creation of the entire world is is that you should elevate your lowly Nefshah Bahamas to Kedusha through performing mitzvahs and through learning Torah. Aha! If so, then the lowliness of your body also isn't a reason why to be upset. It's not only that your happiness is because of the neshama. Now Dr. Rebbe tells you you can be happy even because of the goof. I 
You're going to tell me how can I be happy slowly? Yeah, but that's not my fault. And the purpose is to elevate it. So what am I going to do? I'm going to elevate it. And once I'm doing my job and I'm elevating it, there is no room anymore to be upset. My neshama is, I'm happy because of my neshama. And even to say I'm upset because my goof is lowly. Why should I be upset? That's part of the plan. The plan is it should be lowly and I should elevate it to Hashem. So we're left with over here is a tremendous joy which comes both because of the Nefshalakis and even because the Nefshal Bahamas, if the Nefshal Bahamas is utilized properly in doing Torah and a learning mitzvah. So this is the first approach to joy which the Alter Rebbe talks about in the in Tanya over here. And Amir Tashem, next week we will start the next chapter, chapter 32, which is called Patrick Lev, the heart of Tanya, and which is all about Ahavas Yisrael. We're going to take a little detour. And we'll come back to some kind after that. Yeah,